This semester we are doing a sermon series uh, on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, As we saw last week, uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, really is a pattern for prayer uh, in three parts. When the disciples go to Jesus and they tell him, teach us to pray, he gives them this pattern for prayer uh, in three parts. We look up, and then we look out, and then we look in. Uh, It's a a pattern for prayer that keeps us on track, and it's also a pattern for prayer that starts us off on the right foot. Uh, It's a pattern for prayer that starts us off on the right foot because it starts uh, with connection. See, when we start praying, trying to talk with God, and we don't start with connection, but just kind of launch into it, starting with maybe our mess, starting with our wants, prayer kind of has the sense of us sort of like scribbling a message on a piece of paper, stuffing it into a wine bottle, and chucking it uh, into the ocean, just sort of then hoping, praying that somebody will hear you, answer you, rescue you. It's not a very encouraging way to pray. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't sort of hope for connection uh, as an afterthought. Right? Start with it. Uh, start by looking up uh, and by addressing God uh, as our Father. It's a prayer that starts, with, starts us off on the right foot, not just because it starts with connection, but also right, because it starts uh, with identity. Um, you see, when we pray our Father... We're not just saying something about who God is. We're saying something about who we are uh, as well. If the one who made the universe is dad, that means that we are his kids. It's like we just sang. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, right? It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. Starting with connection starting with uh, identity. I want to talk to you uh, about that tonight, about really the issue of identity, God's as well as our own. And to help us to do that, to sort of guide our conversation together tonight, uh, I want to look at a passage from a New Testament book called Galatians. Okay, Galatians is found in the New Testament. It's also found on your chair. It's going to be put up here as well. But it's a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, a missionary named Paul, to a church in Galatia. That's why it gets this name, Galatians. If you want to know where Galatia is, it's a mountain town, sort of up in the highlands of what's now modern-day Turkey. So he's writing a letter to this church, and we're going to kind of pick up with what he has to say sort of near the end of the letter. Uh, chapter 3, verse 26 uh, through 4, 7. So if you would, follow along with me. I'm going to read it from one of these Bibles that you can get free over there. Um, so Galatians 3, 26 through 4, 7, okay? So here's what it says. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And that concludes our reading for tonight. But I'm going to pray for us before we dive into it some more. Father, thanks for bringing us together. Uh, Thank you for uh, giving us your word, for wanting to make yourself known to us. And I pray that tonight you would help us uh, by your spirit to see what we need to see to hear what we need to hear, to receive and to believe. Uh, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, friends, there are really three things that I want you to see from uh, the passage that I just read from you tonight. The first I want you to see is that Jesus gives you a new identity. Okay, that's point number one. Number two, I want you to see that we have this new identity by faith. It's not an identity that we... Win, it's not one that we earn, right? But we get this by faith. And then thirdly, I want you to see that this new identity has incredible ramifications for your prayer life. Because of this new identity, okay, you have untold access to God, access that you had never had before, which means that you can come to him and talk to him and pray to him and play with him anytime, anywhere. That's one of the ramifications of this. So we're going to look at those three things. You have a new identity by faith, it has some serious implications for your prayer life and for mine as well. Okay, but first, like this idea of our identity, Jesus giving us a, a new identity. I hardly need to tell you this, but college presents itself for many of you uh, as a time for you to decide who you are uh, and who you want to be. Uh, I was recently reading an article uh, written by a college student in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And in this article, he describes how he spent hours and hours uh, in the weeks leading up to college trying to make up his mind what name he was going to put down on that name tag that so many of you wore like last week during track or sort of orientation. He's like, do I put my first name, Alan? Do I put my second name, my middle name, Eric? Or will I present myself as somebody completely different, somebody entirely new? Fabio, Rambo, Joe. Well, in the end, he decides to go with his first name, right, Alan. But here's what he realized. Maybe you've realized this yourself. Going to college, for many of you, right, means leaving home. It means leaving your, fa- your friends and your family behind. And it means coming to a new place surrounded by a bunch of new people who really have no clue who you are. They don't know your past they don't know your story. And that condition, right, of like leaving home and family and friends and in some ways your past behind and stepping into a new place like UVM, it presents itself as this very rare opportunity in your life for you to start over, for you to say, this is who I want to be, to define or at least redefine yourself, to quite literally make a name for yourself. I want to quote Alan from his essay. He says, and I quote, It wasn't really the name itself I wanted to change. It was the person who'd wear it on the hello, my name is sticker at countless introductory meetings in the fall. I, just, I like that. It wasn't the name I wanted to change so much as the person who'd wear it. He goes on, I wasn't horribly unhappy with life in high school, but four years of high school showed me my weaknesses and defects and my personality I wanted 
to leave with my old name in Connecticut. Entering college is one of those precious few transition points in our lives where it really is possible to refashion our identities, and I was intent on taking advantage of it. He says, no one from my high school was going to school here, which was one of the reasons I chose to come here. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I wanted an environment where no one would have expectations of me influenced by what they knew of my old self. I wanted to start from scratch. End quote. How do you hear that? Does what Alan have to say, does it resonate with you uh, in any way? I know when I read it this past week, it really did for me. Now, I graduated from college a while ago, but it still resonated with me. See, I went to college at the University of Colorado at Boulder, sort of like the West Coast version of UVM, okay? It was far from my friends and family uh, in Virginia. And very much like Alan, I wanted to get away. Like, I wanted to start uh, from scratch. So unlike Alan, high school was hard for me. I hated it. I didn't have a lot of friends. I always felt like an outsider who could never sort of get on the inside. See, I sort of belonged to every group, which meant like I belonged to none of them. I sort of like floated from click to click to click, never really was able to fit in. And then I was bullied uh, quite a bit in in high school too. So when I went to college, questions like, who am I? And who do I want to become? And how do I want to be seen? How do I want to be addressed? These were very much questions on the front of my mind. And going to college, I wanted to fit in. Like going to college, I wanted to be cool and smart. I wanted to be the party guy who gets straight A's at the same time. I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to be wanted. This was really the identity that I was trying to carve for myself in college. But what about you? I mean, what do you want? How are you trying to make a name for yourself? What are you making the basis of your identity? Is it being cool and smart and sexy? Is it being the all-star athlete? Being in a certain fraternity or sorority? Is it having a certain GPA? Like, what are you basing your sense of self and self-worth on? What are you making the basis of your identity? Is it based on getting into a particular grad school or fellowship program? Is that what it is? Is it having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it based on who you have sex with or how many people you're having sex with? Is it based on geography and where you come from? Or is it based on what you like and dislike, sort of the music you listen to or the hobbies that you like to participate in? Is it based on what you want to do in your life, like your major or your career? Like, what is it for you? Here's the problem with trying to build your identity on any one of those things that I just mentioned. Right? Having good looks or getting good grades 
right? Having certain friends, certain hobbies, certain jobs, these things are hardly permanent. Like, these things are constantly changing. They are always in flux. You could say they are very shaky foundations to build your identity on. And if you're going to build your identity on shaky foundations, guess what? You're going to feel really insecure. If you're going to build your identity on something that is not fixed, that's constantly shifting, you are going to feel very insecure as you go through life. But this is where you really need to lean in and you need to listen. Because what the Bible has to say to you tonight is incredibly good news. Okay, the good news that comes to us from this passage that we read, right, is that you don't need uh, to create an identity of your own. You don't need to define or to redefine yourself. You don't need to make a name for yourself and prove to yourself and to others your worth. Instead, God gives you an identity that will not change, that cannot be shaken, and is not going anywhere. Let me just say that again. God is going to give you an identity that will not change. It cannot be shaken, and it's not going anywhere. If you are in Christ, which is just a way of saying if you are a Christian, who you are is a dearly beloved child of God. You are not your looks. You are not your grades. You are not the sum total of your extracurriculars. You are not the number of likes on your Instagram feed. You are not as good as the last concert that you went to. You are not what your friends think of you. You are not what your parents think of you. You're not even what I think of you, right? Pastor here at UVM. You are what God thinks of you. And what God thinks when he looks at you is this. He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're awesome. See, God looks at you and he's like, it's worth leaving heaven for earth for. You are worth leaving heaven for earth for. You're worth living for. You are worth climbing onto a cross for. You are worth rising from the grave for. God wants to live with you. Right, forever and ever. And he has done everything necessary for that dream to come true. Everything necessary for you to find your home with him. I want you to look at verse 4-4. I don't know, on that sheet or up here. Because here's what it says. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What verse 4-4 is saying, if I could break it down for you, is that some 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Trinity, okay, God the Son, became a human being. Okay, he was born of a woman right, named Mary, and he was born under the law, which is to say he was subject to the same expectations that God has for you and for me. He was given the name Jesus. And Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Mary, came to earth 
Not because he needed a vacation. He didn't come to earth because he was bored, because he needed to see the sights. The Son of God came to earth on a mission. He came to earth on a mission to find us, to rescue us, and to reconcile us to God. To bring us home, right? to make us family. As the verse says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, essentially what Jesus did in his perfect life and in his substitutionary death on a cross is he cleared all of the legal hurdles, sort of finalized all the legal paperwork so that we could actually be adopted into God's family, so that we could be at home with him and live with him forever, Father, Son, and Spirit, not as an outsider, not as a guest, but as a son or daughter of the king, so that we could live like family. So we could really be royalty. That's the point. That's the point of Jesus' mission. Some of you got to meet my wife, Megan. Uh, she was in here before. She's actually going to the uh, outing club meeting tonight. She runs UVM's ropes course. She's a pretty super cool woman. Um, some of you know her, and I hope all of you get the chance to meet her. Um, but very few, if any of you, know that my wife, Megan, was adopted at the age of 16. Uh, when Megan was five years old, her mom married a man named Jack, who we call Papa Jack. When she was nine years old, Papa Jack and Nana Jana, that's her mom, all right, they had a son, also named Jack, but we just call him Little Jack to keep the Jacks sort of in, in, you know, in order. Well, seven years later, Papa Jack decided to adopt Megan into his family at the age of 16. And on that day, her adoption day, Megan Mikesell became Megan Quayley. But more happened than just a legal change of name. On that day, Megan became a family member of Jack's, and she officially became an heir to his entire estate. She stood in line, still stands in line to inherit everything, along with her brother. What's more... Megan got on that day a dad who loves her and dotes on her. And Jack got a daughter to love and dote on. When Papa Jack introduces his kids, he doesn't say, this is my strapping son, Jack, and this is a girl named Megan that I adopted. That's not how he introduces them. He says, this is my son, Jack, and this is my daughter, Megan. It doesn't matter that little Jack was born into the family and that Megan was adopted into it. It doesn't matter at all. PJ, Papa Jack, loves them the same. He cares for them the same. He protects them the same. He provides for them the same. And what is true about Megan and Jack is true of us and God as well. Because God the Father has only one begotten Son. It's Jesus. It's not you, it's not me, it's Him, right? Jesus. Only He is begotten, right? Born into the family of God. And you and I, right, we're adopted into it. But it doesn't matter if you are begotten into the family of God or adopted into it, because once you're in, you are in. You are treated like family. 
I told you the story last week about a guy named Russell who adopted two kids from Romania. And he says this in that interview that I quoted from. He says, there are no adopted children of God as an ongoing category. Adoption tells us how we came into the family of God. But once we are here, no distinction is drawn between those at the dinner table. All that is to say, the way that God the Father feels about his son, the way that God the Father feels about Jesus is exactly the same way that God feels about you. His words over Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Those are the very same words he has for you. You are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. You all, this is your new God-given identity that is not going anywhere, that cannot be shaken. It's fixed. And it's yours by faith. It's yours by faith. This brings me to the second point of the sermon. I'll keep it a little bit briefer than the first, okay? How do we get this new identity? Well, we get it by faith. It's not something we win. It's not something that we earn. It is a gift given to us, and we receive it with the empty hands of faith. I want you to look at verse 326 with me. It says there, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, or you could say by faith. Okay. Your new identity, the one that I hope that you build your life on here at UVM and for the rest of your life, Right? It, it is a gift given to you to be received, uh, to be appropriated by faith. This gift is offered to us at our baptism. Look at verse 27 with me. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And here's what he's saying. Here's how this connects. When somebody steps forward to be baptized or somebody offers up their kids to be baptized, God is doing something in that event. God is communicating something very loud and clear at somebody's baptism. And what he's communicating is this. Your sins are forgiven. I will wash you as clean as snow. I'll also give you the gift of my Holy Spirit. Right? He is for you too. You can start your life anew. It's what he is communicating in this act of baptism. These are the promises that are being made to us. You could say these are the gifts that are being offered to us. Forgiveness, cleansing, God's Holy Spirit, a new identity. All of it being offered to you in that moment. It's a gift from God. But like any gift, right, this one can be rejected or received. All to say, baptism is not what saves you. Okay, faith in Jesus is what saves you. You can be handed a check for a million dollars. But that doesn't actually make you a millionaire. That just makes you a guy holding a check for a million dollars. In order to actually be a millionaire, you got to take that thing to the bank. you got to cash it in. And it's true of this as well, right? God can give you an incredible gift, but you've actually got to cash this in. You've got to personally appropriate this. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, essentially what you are doing is you're receiving the gifts that God has handed to you at your baptism. Same gifts that I'm telling you, like, look... You don't have to be baptized yet to receive this. I'm telling you right now, this is for you. 
You can receive it tonight. Okay? But when you receive it, right, that is what faith is. Faith is the empty hands of receiving what God has given to us in Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's family, your new identity in Christ. You receive these things with the empty hands of faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God by or through faith. And here's how you know that this gift hasn't just been given to you, but it's actually been received as well. You know when you've put your faith and trust in Christ. You know it when you look to him for your salvation. You know it when you've cashed this in, that you're banking on it when you pray to God and when you address him as our Father. If you were to jump down to the bottom of that verse, if you look at 4, 6 through 7, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. I hardly need to tell you, but I will tell you it anyways. Not everybody prays to God as our Father. Not everyone calls the Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Daddy. Not everyone does that. That's pretty unique. All that is to say, if you're calling God Abba or Papa or Daddy, if you are looking to him as your dad and you are identifying as his kids, it can only mean one thing. It means this, that you are his child. It means that he has put the spirit of God's only son within you. The spirit of the only begotten son of God lives within you too, which is why you pray to him as our father. That's proof, right, that this faith is alive and well in you. You are not a slave. You are not a stranger. You are not an orphan. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a a dearly beloved child of God. Now, this brings me to our third and final point for tonight. What does any of this have to do with prayer? That's a good question. Right? What does this have to do with prayer? Like, how does this relate to our series, right? Like praying the Lord's Prayer. Well, hear me out. Because of this new identity, right, which we get by faith, which we're sort of leading with when we open our mouths and talk to God, our Father, Because of this new identity by faith, we have untold access to God. We can come to him and we can talk to him uh, at any time. In 1963, a photographer named Alan Tretick snapped a picture of John F. Kennedy Jr., who was the president's son, playing by his daddy's legs in in the Oval Office, his dad being the president of the United States. You can see the picture here. Okay. Here's what is so awesome about this photograph. Normally speaking, only VIPs have access to the President of the United States. You have to be really important to have an audience with JFK, the President of the United States. And even then, even if you are some special VIP, even then you might be told no. Even then you might have to wait in the hall. But what this photograph powerfully communicates is this truth. While VIPs may or may not get access to the most powerful person in the, in the land, 
While a VIP might not be able to meet with the president, a son always does. A son always has access to the father. See, God is way more important, a way bigger deal than the president of the United States. And this God is always working. But because in Christ you are all sons of God, you're all sons and daughters of God through faith, you can literally barge into God's oval office at any point in time and you can pray at his feet and you can play at his feet, just like JFK Jr. playing at his daddy's feet while he does his work and is a mover and shaker. Right? That's you at the table of God. You have access to him at any time. Nobody but children have that kind of access. But you have it now. You've been adopted into the family. And because of this new identity in Christ, which you have by faith, you can come to God at any time and you can pray to him at any time. He is always there to receive you. He is always there to listen to you. You are welcome. That's how this relates. Let me just conclude. All right. Who are you? What are you trying to make the basis of your identity here at UVM? You don't have to win one for yourself. You don't have to define or redefine yourself because God wants to give you an identity that is steadfast and sure. Child of God. My beloved son, my beloved daughter. And it's important that you know this. Not in the middle of your praying and not at the end. It's important you know this right at the outset, right at the very beginning. Because how you start your prayers is going to affect what your, where your prayers go. And it's going to affect what they sound like. So don't start by looking out. And don't even start by looking in. Start by looking up. By looking up and addressing God as Father. As our Father. Start with knowing his identity and yours. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. And you are loved by him. It's who you are. It's who you are. Let's come to him and pray now. I want to give you a time, a moment to be able to address God quietly on your own and just be able to reflect to him some of the things that you're thinking or feeling. I don't know how any any of what I've just said lands with you, but I want to give you space to be able to talk to him about it. So feel free to just take the next minute and just to talk to him about what you're thinking or feeling. Father, I pray um, that you would help us to see the ways that we're trying to carve out our identities here. How we're tempted to build our identity on something that really isn't that stable. 
maybe we can confess together we kind of feel insecure because of it. But I'm grateful, Lord, uh, that you have given us an identity that cannot be moved or shaken in Jesus. That because of what you've done for us in him, we can be reconciled to you. That we don't have to live like strangers or orphans anymore. You have done something to adopt us into your family, to make us sons and daughters, to make us heirs with Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive that, to lay claim to it, to build our life on that sure foundation. I pray as we continue to meet just this semester and year, you would continue just to convince us that you are a good, good father. I know um, lots in this room have good dads and lots of us don't. Um, but I pray, Lord, that when we, you would help us to see that you are the best of the best dads and nothing like the worst. Um, and I pray that as we begin to sort of soak in your goodness, begin to trust you more and more, that we begin to talk to you more and really begin to live out of our new identity as children of God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.